today we are continuing our series, uh, Why Them? Looking at various characters in the uh, nativity narrative. And today we're going to be looking at the wise men and their gifts. It's Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. So I'm just going to read it. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So the story of the wise men, perhaps it suffers a little bit from our over-familiarity with it. And we can also perhaps make assumptions about what's there and what's not. In 1857, an American clergyman called John Henry Hopkins wrote a well-known carol called We Three Kings from Orient Are. But interestingly... In the verse before us, the passage before us in Matthew, the Bible doesn't say that there were three wise men. This is probably assumed from the amount of gifts that Matthew chooses to mention. And it's those gifts that we'll just be unpacking a little bit today. But it just says actually in verse 1 that wise men came from the east. And it doesn't say that they were kings. In fact, they probably weren't, as we'll see just going to put up a picture as well, a painting. This is a uh, painting in the late 1400s and it was produced by an artist called Hieronymus Bosch and it's called The Adoration of the Magi and in it we have a, a wonderfully European looking Mary figure and a couple of very European looking figures in the centre and to the edge here we have Uh, very African appearing figures and at the time of Hieronymus Bosch in the 1400s uh, trade was opening up between Europe and Africa at an exponential rate and we see that Hieronymus Bosch is probably kind of painting into this visit of the Magi the truth around his own time 
rather than first century Judah and the time that Matthew is writing about. And maybe the stories about the wise men, the accretions of the years, can hide the real meaning of what the wise men really knew about Jesus, what they understood about Jesus, who Jesus was for them and who Jesus is also for us today. Now the narrative of the wise men occurs uh, only in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, There is another nativity account in St Luke's Gospel um, but Luke doesn't mention their visit. And the word magi It's an untranslated Greek word representing a subclass of Persian priests. So these were noblemen and they were gifted in many areas, astronomy and astrology. And this may explain why they were looking at the stars, how God used the stars to get their attention and draw them to Jesus. And they knew something about Jesus. They'd had some kind of revelation from God. And this is really revealed in the significance of the gifts that they give to Jesus that Matthew chooses to mention. So the first gift is gold. What does gold represent? Jesus is king. 1 Kings 10.18 says this, talking of Solomon, The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with gold. And actually, as we look at gold in the ancient world and in scripture, we tend to find it is very uh, strongly related to royalty, to kingship. And uh, interestingly, the wise men, their first question in verse two of the passage before us today is, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So their primary understanding about Jesus is that he's a king. And this is reflected in their first gift to him. The gift of gold. Gold is the metal of kings. So gold, Jesus is king. The next gift is frankincense. Now frankincense was a perfume. It was used in temple worship and also mixed with oil for anointing priests. And frankincense represents Jesus as God. We can see how this was offered in the temple worship in in Leviticus 2 verses 1 and 2, or how this was actually offered before the time of the temple. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So frankincense being offered to one who is God. And it's also a symbol of prayer to God. Psalm 141 verse 2 says this, Let my prayer be counted as incense, frankincense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. In the New Testament also, Revelation chapter 5 verse 8 talks about the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Who do you offer prayer to? Prayers offered to one who is God. And so the wise men in this particular gift, the Magi, are saying, 
We're believing that Jesus is God. And that's what Matthew wants us to know in his gospel. So that leaves us with myrrh. What does the myrrh represent? Well, myrrh is a costly perfume and a spice and an antiseptic. And it's used in embalming, really at the end of somebody's life, not the beginning. And perhaps it's the, the most problematic uh, of all the gifts. But myrrh represents Jesus as human. Jesus is human. We actually do see it occur again towards the end of Jesus' life in John chapter 10, verses 39 and 40. It says this, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in the linen cloth with the spices, as is the custom of the Jews. So we see myrrh coming into Jesus' life at the start of his life and at the end of his life. It's certainly a strange gift for the wise men to bring to an infant. As uh, somebody has written, embalming fluid is not very high on the list of gifts at a baby shower in our society. And the myrrh was thought to be reflective of the fact that Jesus would live and would die a human death. Yes, he'd be raised from the dead, but he would know the reality of death as a human on the cross. And that also this death points to Jesus dying in our place on the cross for our sins. So something of the gospel is wrapped up in it. The gift of myrrh, Jesus is human. So we have gold, Jesus is king. Frankincense, Jesus is God. Myrrh, Jesus is human. And this is what the wise men are conveying and Matthew is showing us they're conveying through their gifts. But how do we think of Jesus? How do we think particularly around his divinity, Jesus as God and Jesus as human? I'm just going to pop up another slide. Uh, this is the who's who board and it's quite a, a straightforward one today. Certainly if you were born um, uh, in my kind of age group, this is uh, the, the big green figure is the Incredible Hulk. And uh, the figure uh, below him, uh, I'm reliably informed, is called David Bannerman. And the, the actor was uh, Bill Bixby who played him. And I used to love watching the Incredible Hulk as a little boy. I think it was a seven till eight o'clock slot on a Friday evening. And the whole purpose of it really was that Bill Bixby had had some kind of accident with radiation in his past. And it meant that when he got angry, he would morph and turn into the Incredible Hulk. And he'd do it usually sort of two times in a program. And uh, he had a, a famous kind of phrase, don't make me angry, you won't like me when I'm angry. And uh, of course, he did get made angry. That's the whole point of the show, really. Uh, his eyes would start to spin around and he would start to change into the Incredible Hulk. He'd burst through his trousers and his shirts. And uh, he, I never sort of uh, realised, actually, as a child, I never thought how many pairs of uh, trousers and how many shirts he would have got through. It's interesting you think of that when you're an adult a bit more pragmatically. But anyway, he he would turn into this figure, the Incredible Hulk. And the Incredible Hulk, yeah, he may have been angry, but he would do things that you wanted a superhero to do. He would lift uh, cars, burning cars off people and rescue them. 
Uh, he would uh, administer justice to those uh, villains who were uh, who kind of needed to be sorted out. And uh, he was a, a superhero. And maybe mistakenly, we've seen Jesus, particularly in the West, his uh, divinity and his humanity, something like a superhero in that way. We thought that, you know, maybe he's a 50-50 split. There's a God bit and a man bit. At one point in time, he's being a man. Another point in time, he's being God. And actually, that's not the uh, understanding of the Christian church from early times and not what's reflected maybe embryonically in the gifts of the wise men to Jesus. That Jesus is actually 100% God, if we can do it in a percentage, and 100% man. He's fully God, fully man at the same time. Yes, it's a mystery, but he's not a little bit of either or a part and part of either. He's born, comes into our world at Bethlehem, fully God, fully human. And uh, that's part of the mystery and the beauty of the incarnation. Now, this truth about Jesus being fully God and fully human, uh, maybe, yes, the, the wise men uh, knew it innately, as did the uh, early church and early Jesus movement. But it was articulated three or four centuries later when it was really challenged. And uh, we're going to just look at some other wise men from the East. So these are three wise men. Uh, they're known as the Cappadocian Fathers. And we have Basil of Caesarea, Gregory of Nyssa, and Gregory of Nazianzus, all from the 4th century AD. And they were born in a quite a tumultuous time when who Jesus was, was really being questioned and challenged. Somebody called Arias had uh, arisen and around about 320, 321, uh, Arias had uh, essentially said that Jesus uh, was inferior to the Father, that uh, he wasn't fully God in the same way as the Father, he was a lesser God. And uh, this caused some controversy and led to uh, a church council in Nicaea in 325 from where we get our Nicene Creed, our kind of orthodox uh, statement of faith regarding Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But interestingly at the time Nicaea didn't really stick that the ideas of Arias were continued uh, by him until his, his death, which wasn't long afterwards, and um, it was continued by others really through the uh, century. And Basil and Gregory and Gregory really worked to uh, prove from the scriptures, from the early church, that uh, Jesus uh, was in fact uh, equal to the Father as well as the Holy Spirit that he was fully God. And then the truth of Jesus' humanity was challenged as well. There were those who said, I know Jesus can't be fully human. He can't have had a rational mind like us and thought in the same way. And uh, this was actually picked up by the uh, third of these uh, Cappadocian fathers, Gregory of Nazianzus. And he said something really brilliant actually about the incarnation. He said, what has not been assumed has not been healed. And what he was saying was what Jesus hasn't taken on of our flesh, what Jesus hasn't taken on of our humanity, including our minds. Uh, it can't be redeemed. It can't be saved. He must have taken it on. And Gregory argued you know, that Jesus was fully human. The incarnation was about this Jesus who, uh, like us, we see from Scripture, got hungry. He got thirsty. He got tired. 
He could be touched with our infirmities, with our pain. He knew what suffering was. It says in Hebrews 14 verse 15, sorry, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus knew temptation and uh, the enemy certainly wouldn't have tempted Jesus if uh, it wasn't possible for Jesus to fall. So this beautiful truth that we think about at Christmas time of Jesus coming and being born into our world and being fully human for us. And the word incarnation, it is a mystery, but it's a, a Latin, uh, there are two Latin roots to it. And the first one is in, meaning in, and the second one is caro, meaning flesh. In flesh, Jesus, God in flesh. What a beautiful truth. But any play, any painting uh, will call us into its story. And the wise men, our original wise men, the Magi, with this revelation of who Jesus was as king, as God, as human, it really uh, provoked them actually to extremes in a way. We see from the passage in Matthew that they sacrificed time and came a long distance, encountering danger, notably Herod. They gave these costly gifts to Jesus, all three of the gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, are mentioned in Revelation 18, 11 and 12 as among, those, as among the gifts that the merchants of the world weep over when the riches of the world are lost. They obeyed God. In verse 12, they are divinely warned about not to go back to Herod and they avoid him on their return. And then verse 11, they worshipped Jesus. They fell down, the thing you do before one who is God. And they worshipped him. I sometimes wonder how they knew who Jesus was. Had they read that uh, well-known prophecy in scripture in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 that we often hear at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That within this one scripture, this one prophecy, we have um, a human child being born, and we have a Prince of Peace who takes government, we have royalty, and we have a Mighty God. So all three of these ingredients that the Magi knew and uh, had uh, had revelation of, are built into this prophecy in Isaiah. And what about us? The Magi committed and they sacrificed a lot to come to Jesus. Maybe this morning, particularly if you don't know Jesus, maybe he's inviting you to come to him. As King and as Lord, in a world where there are so many uh, leaders, there are so many kings and lords across the world. Maybe Jesus is inviting you to make him the Lord of your life, the true Lord, the true king in whom you can trust and with whom you can trust your life. Perhaps he's inviting you as God and saying, come into this eternal story with me, the God who uh, dies on a cross for your sins, that you can be forgiven, that you can come into an abundance of life. The God who knows everything about you as God. 
and the God who also comes as Jesus, the God who comes in as a human and who is also fully human and who knows about your pain, who knows about your joy, who knows what it is to be human and who invites you into this deep friendship with him. So if you don't know Jesus today, invite him into your life. Seek him as the wise men sought him. It will be something that you won't regret. It will be the best decision that you make. And Maybe this Christmas, yes, we can meditate on the truth of the incarnation and many people who kind of make up the nativity story. Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the magi. And yes, maybe even raise a glass to those Cappadocian fathers. But if you don't know him, don't wait. Come to Jesus today. You won't regret it. Okay, hope you all have a good week and we'll see you soon. God bless.